All right, so last week we walked through chapter 10 of Acts. So we're in a series uh, called Witness. If you're able to read, if you're not, ask your neighbor. That says Witness. Um, we're in chapter 11. We're on week 11. This is crazy. We're, we've been going through this for a while now. And, you know, if anybody knows how many chapters are in Acts, there's 28. So it's going to be a 28-week series. Y'all in? Okay, good. So, so last week we went through chapter 10 where we literally saw the gospel going to the Gentiles and how huge of an event that was for the gospel to be sent out to the Gentiles because for so long, God was a, a Jewish God. God was a God that cared for the Jews first. He cared for the Jewish culture, the Jewish, uh, he cared for those people. Um, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and for the first time you see in Acts chapter 10, Jesus um, being crucified, he died, he rose, from the, he rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two. All right, and then you see this happening. And now in Acts chapter 10, you see the gospel going to the Gentiles and it confused the Jews because for so long the Jews were like, this is, this is like, this is not, this is weird. Like, this is just for me. And so we look how huge the event it was. The gospel wasn't just for the Jews anymore. It was God had opened the door so that all men could now receive salvation. All men could receive salvation through the grace of God by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. All men can do it. And there were some things that we wanted to really glean as a church to be able to give an accurate picture of who God is and what the heart of God is and for the world around us. As you're living your life, you are a, you are a living example of who God is in this world. So if you're a believer, if you say, hey, Michael, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. That means you have a, a mark on you that the world is supposed to see a very clear picture of who Jesus is in your life. And so as a church, we come together, we make that picture more clear as a bigger body. And so what it looks like, the church as a body, we need to be able to give an accurate picture of who God is to the world. We looked at the, um, we said that the gospel is not colorblind. I shared with you, um, I shared with you uh, last week about an instance in my life where I had a brother um, and he was, and I, I had, I just, we were having a, a racial conversation, a cultural conversation. I said, hey man, I'm colorblind, man. I see everybody the same. I love everybody. Jesus loves everybody. And then I remember Jesus was convicting me saying, I'm not colorblind. I'm color engaging. And I, I, you're supposed to, I'm, I wanna bring out the beauty of all the races and all the cultures of the world to see one church made united under the name of Jesus. And the gospel is not colorblind. The gospel is color engaging. It enlightens people's culture. It enlightens people's lives. And in any church that is divided by race or by culture is outside the will and the heart of God and needs to repent and begin the process of reconciliation and of creating an accurate picture of how God intended the church to operate because it was intended to operate and function as a mirror to the coming kingdom of God. And so as I look at this, the church is meant to be an example to the world of what the kingdom is going to look like. The, ch the church for too long has just listened to a preacher and went home and come back, listened to a preacher and went home. We've become so immature in our faith that we're not sure what's up or what's down, much less what discipleship looks like or evangelism. So we have to get into the word. We have to start studying it. We have to start being united around the love that Jesus gave us through, through his sacrifice on the cross. And as we look at this, the church is meant to be an example to the world of what the coming kingdom looks like. A beautiful tapestry of colors and cultures all united around the gospel. And we saw that a, a multicultural church is a powerful gospel witness. You remember that? It's, it's, it's to a divided world. Who, who can look at the news outlets? So it don't matter which one you look at. You see a world that's divided, right? 
You see a world that's playing against each other. You see evil from every corner. No matter what political party you fall in, you are a kingdom citizen, not a Republican or a Democrat. You are a a child of God if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're part of the church. You're a kingdom citizen first. And it's time for us to start being divided on those things in the church because a multicultural church in which people who have been historically divided, when they're brought back together in Christ, it points to the mystery and the power found in the gospel. Whenever I can walk next to a brother of a different color and we're united and there's love and there's unity and there's a bond there that can't be explained by anything other than the gospel, that shows Jesus to the world around us. And it's important that we see that. And so you see, for, for Peter and the Jewish church, being in fellowship with the Gentiles was a new experience. They, they were like, I, I don't know how this is supposed to work. I don't, get, I, don't, I don't get your culture. You don't get mine, but we know Jesus. Let's just figure this thing out. Like all their lives, they looked at the Gentiles as pagans. They looked at the Gentiles as God hates you. That's what they looked at them as. They pointed at them. And then I even told you last week that um, a lot of the Jewish uh, Pharisees and a lot of the Jewish religious leaders would say, their, their prayer life would be, thank God I'm not a, a woman. Thank God I'm not a slave. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. And so you see their mentality in that. And all their lives, they looked at the Gentiles wrong. Tradition said that a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be accepted. But now Jews and Gentiles were being united in the church through faith in Jesus. And this is chapter 10, we're still reviewing here. So remember, we said last week, our, our, one of our main points was that we have one shepherd and one flock. There's no black church, there's no white church, there's no Asian church, there's no Mexican church. There's one church under Christ. And we're called to be united. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter three, verse 26 to 29, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. You can write it down and look at it later. Galatians three says, so in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a huge word there for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there's a few words that you need to hang on to. Heirs, one, all in Christ. Words like that, remember, remember those words. But even in the early church, we still see divisions. We still see divisions of some Jewish churches, Christians in the church wanting the Gentiles to become Jews. That's why Galatians was written. Then you see some of the Gentile believers wanting the Jews to stop being Jews and become Gentiles. And you see all these things, the same attitude creates the same divisions in our our churches today. Those same types of division. And it's so important that we follow the example that we find in scripture in Acts 10 and chapter 11 because this entire series is about how the church is supposed to function. Like how the church, if you're, a, you're, you're Acts 1 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you're a Christian in this place today, you're a witness to the, to the gospel. You're a witness to the work of Jesus. And if that's the case, what are you witnessing to? As people are seeing you live your life, what witness are you giving off? Are you giving off a witness that your identity is found in a man or a woman or money or a job? Are you, giving your, are you giving out the witness that your identity is found in Jesus because he saved your life and changed your life and put you on mission? So where, is, where are you at in that today? Listen, Peter said in Acts chapter 10, in the very, or excuse me, Acts chapter 11, after he had seen the, the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit, after he had told the Pharisees that, guys, 
I can't imagine his face. He's like, I don't know what's going on in this place, man, but like God is doing something incredible. The Gentiles were speaking in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? How can I possibly hinder God? And so last week, we were asking the question, are you hindering, am I hindering the move of God in this church or any church that you attend, the unity of the races and the unity of cultures in this body? Are we, are we hindering that? And like I said last week, when the gospel comes into a culture, it never squashes that culture or demand adherence to a different culture. The, the spirit creates in us a kingdom culture. It, it creates in us a culture that actually brings out the intended beauty of the earthly cultures around us. Like, and, and it highlights the cre- God's creation and his glory. I, I, shared, I shared a couple weeks ago about my mountain story when I was trying to climb Mount Sabachi and about died. Remember that? So I, there's, a, there's a culture there. It's, a, it's, a, it's in the Samburu region of Kenya, and it's the Maasai people. They're, they're nomadic herdsmen, and they they're, they're, uh, war, they're, have warriors that, are, that, that kill lions. It's crazy, man. They're, they're intense people. But the gospel didn't go in that place and squash their culture. What it did, it, is it, it enlightened that culture. And I, I was brothers with these people wearing these, these, these warrior outfits. And I was wearing, you know, my, my Tom's, my, my missionary outfit. We were doing all these things. And we had, listen, these, we were brothers, but we were from different cultures. But we were united around the gospel. It enlightens the, it enlightens the cultural, cultural differences in us and it unites us. And even in our American culture, even in here, you're like, well, that doesn't happen here. Yes, it does. What, what do we do? We, don't, we may not say it to people when you get saved. We may not say it, but we, may, we come across this way by the way we talk about people. We scream without saying it, clean yourselves up before you come to church. Clean, your, clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You need to make sure you quit cussing, get off those drugs, stop drinking, stop cheating on your wife, stop doing all these things before you come to Jesus. Listen, that's not how I read about Jesus in scripture. I read Jesus coming and meeting people where they're at and then calling them out of their sin to follow him. That's what we're called to do as a church. The gospel screams, come as you are. Jesus has done everything needed for your salvation. Nothing needs to be added to it. The only thing necessary for that is for you to surrender to him, to bend the knee to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm, I'm dying to myself and I'm coming alive to you. Whatever you want, I'm doing it. And so often we forget that we've been set free from the sins that we keep committing, keep falling into. The gospel is greater. Paul says it best in Galatians chapter five, verse one. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So what? Why? So then stand firm. Stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery and the sin. Don't do it. Why, why did Christ set us free? For freedom. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. And then in verse six, you see him a little later say, for in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. So all these religious activities that these Jews were trying to do, guys, this does nothing. This is pointless. This is pointless. What matters is faith working itself out through love. And so that's where we're gonna kind of go at today. And so with this in mind, let's get into our text today in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And we're gonna look into some of that. I, can, I know I kind of freaked some of you out last week. We were supposed to be in Acts chapter 10. We kind of moved over in chapter 11 a little bit. And you're like, what is happening? It's okay. It's all right. We'll just push it up and get some religious stuff, you know. So we're going to chapter, chapter 11, verse 19. And we're gonna go through verse 26 together. And this is what it says. It says, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way to as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. 
But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Now about the about them reached news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a large number of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so some historical context, some historical background. Back in Acts 8, I'm not sure if you remember this. Back in Acts 8, persecution broke out in the early church and the church was being scattered. So basically what had happened for years... Christians, Jesus said, go and be my witnesses to all nations. Well, Christians were huddling in Jerusalem. They were just sitting in there like, okay, what we do, what we do, what we do. I'm not sure if it was fear. I'm not sure if it was laziness. I'm not sure what it was. Well, God said, okay, well, if you're going to sit here and be disobedient, persecution, scatter. You know what I mean? So God, a lot of times what God does in our life we don't understand, it's for his divine glory. Sometimes you think that, sometimes you think the things that you're going through are, are hardships. God, are you punishing me? God may just be pushing you into the direction he wants you to go. It's important to understand those types of contexts as you read scripture. Anyway, so some of these disciples ended up in Antioch, which was, uh, which was, it was the capital city of Syria in that time. And it was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So this was a long trek to be running away from your persecutors, right? 300 miles, gone. So they were scattered to Antioch. Not all the Christians, it was just kind of, there was a mass exodus and they were, they were, this is the people that were in Antioch. So some fun facts about Antioch. I love studying some history and different things. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and um, one other city that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, Alexandria, that's it. Um, the main city, the main street in that city of Antioch was more than four miles long. It's a long road, right? It was paved with marble. I'm like, what? Think about how long four miles of marble is. Isn't that construction here? You think about like paving a road with marble for four miles. That's a lot. It had these huge marble colonnades along there. So there's these towers. It was a beautiful setting. It was the only city at that time that had its streets lit at night with torches. And it was, it was lit streets. It was beautiful. So I'm kind of painting a picture for you. And so not only was there a thriving church being built in Antioch because of this mass um, persecution, this mass exodus of Christians from Jerusalem going to these different places, it, was, it also became the church that sent Paul out on his missionary journeys. When the persecuted Jewish believers arrived in Antioch, they weren't fearful. They may have been struggling with fear and, and, and being persecuted. The, the word of God was on their lips. Wherever they went, they were sharing Jesus with people. Have you heard about my Jesus? Have you heard about what God's done in Jerusalem? And the hand of God was on their lives. You saw them sharing the gospel and you're starting to see fruit come out of their efforts. It says in, it says in the end of this, our verse 24, or verse 23, uh, where is it at? 24, it says, large numbers of people were added to their number. So they were evangelizing. They were, they were loving on the people in that city. And God was moving through them in a mighty, mighty way. And so much was happening in Antioch. Think about this now. So much was happening in Antioch through the Holy Spirit, through God working through the church, that news reached all the way back to Jerusalem what was happening. Think about what has to happen for that kind of news to spread back 300 miles in a time where there's no cars or anything. There has to be something amazing happening in this time. Think about that. Just in our church, do people hear about what God's doing? 
Do people hear about what God's doing in your life, in our lives, in the church, in lives of our church? And so as you, we can kind of assume the elders commissioned, the elders met and commissioned Barnabas to, to go to Antioch to find out what was going on. Like there were, something's happening again with the Gentiles. So let's figure out, let's, let's kind of uh, verify this. This is the second instance of, a, of, of Gentile believers coming to Jesus and the sign of the Holy Spirit coming. So then we see Barnabas arriving and seeing what God is doing in the church in Antioch. And it says he responded by rejoicing and encouraging the believers to remain true to the Lord. And so don't overlook that worshiping with the Gentiles was a new experience for, for Barnabas here. Don't ever look that. He was going to a foreign land and worshiping with Gentiles when all he had ever worshiped with was Jews. He was going to a new place with a very familiar worship service where he was, or, or, or an object of his worship. But it was a work of God moving in Barnabas. And instead of complaining or criticizing because his preferences weren't being met, Barnabas gave thanks for God's grace. Barnabas gave thanks for God's grace in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles because Barnabas cared more about God receiving the glory on earth than he cared about his own life and his own preferences being met like he wants them to be met in his comfort zones. And so Barnabas, I think he was met with two incredible observations in Antioch. Y'all can write these down. You don't have to. Um, we're going to have a few points today. Somebody made fun of me for making a three-point sermon, so I made a five-point sermon this week. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so Barnabas, was met, he was met with two incredible observations. The first one, the church's witness, was what he, the church's witness in Antioch made a great impact on the city. It wasn't just a small impact. It was a big impact. It says a large number of people were being added to the, to the Lord. I don't, think that was a, I don't think that was a small crowd. I think a lot of people were moving in to the church. And so the takeaway from that point is when believers are grounded in the word of God, they'll have a strong witness to the lost. And so if you're grounded in scripture, you will have a strong witness to the lost around you. Listen, how's your time spent in the word, guys? How's your time in the word? We were having a connect group leader meeting this morning and um, Eric sh shared with them that, you know, how many of you miss daughter's appointments or how many of you miss appointments with your kids, ball games, or dates with your wives or girlfriends or boyfriends. How many of us miss the things that we really want to do, but then how many of us miss our appointment with the King of Kings? And so it's important to understand that it's time for us to put this thing in, in perspective. We need to follow Jesus in a way where we're digging into his word because this is the revelation of who he is. This is the first place we need to look to, be, to, to learn who he is. But my question is, why do we struggle in that area? Why do we struggle with getting in alone with the Lord? Because I'll tell you this, you have, a, you have to fight for it. You, you have to battle in prayer. You have to fight for quality time in the word because the enemy is after you too. He don't want you to fall into that place. The second thing, the second thing I noticed that, that, that Barnabas would have been met, he comes in and says, man, this is something crazy having a big impact. The second thing I noticed is that the rapid growth in the church meant that Barnabas needed help. He came there and said, there's a lot of, his first, his first observation was, man, there's a lot of people. The second observation is, I need some help. And so what did he do? He went to Tarshish and found Saul. But here's my question. This is, this is the sovereignty of God. This is all this stuff. My question is, why did he go all the way to Tarshish, which was 100 miles, just to find a helper? Okay, why, why did he do that? You know, why not just go ask your Jerusalem, hey, guys, Jerusalem, can y'all send the deacon Nicholas who was born in Antioch because he knows all these people anyway? 
That was in my human, my human mind, Nicholas would have been, you look in Acts 9, it, it gives you a list of who Nicholas was. He was from Antioch. But that's, in my mind, that would be the best choice to come back to Antioch because he had influence in the city, right? Why did he go get Paul? You remember that, you remember that Barnabas had, had befriended and defended Paul to the apostles in Jerusalem. And also in Acts chapter 9, Barnabas knew that God had commissioned Saul to minister to the Gentiles. And so he was being strategic in who he picked to help out with the church because he knew God had empowered and equipped Paul to reach the, the Gentiles. And so Saul, he'd been, he'd been converted for like 10 years at this point. And this is where we lose it. We've, we've read through like 10 or 11 chapters over the course of a few months, but we've gone years in the course of the church. So don't forget that as we read. But the New Testament doesn't really tell us anything about where Saul was doing back home in Tarsus after he left Jerusalem, but it was time for his ministry to officially begin. And from this point on, you're gonna see Barnabas and Paul a lot. You're gonna see these different um, characters come into play. We're gonna see Paul and Barnabas being commissioned in two weeks in Acts chapter 11. But for the remainder of our time today, I want us to focus in on Barnabas and a portion of today's passage that often gets overlooked. And as I was trying to study this, because I went ahead of myself last week, I kind of backed myself into a corner. I said, God, I know this is sovereign, so you show me what you want me to preach. And verse 22 to 26 really stuck out to me as I was reading about Barnabas and who he is. And verse 24 was kind of like the highlight. It says this, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus and Mount Saul. We just, we just read that. But the thing I want to highlight is verse 24. It says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And so I started thinking about that for a second. So if you ask Luke what made Barnabas tick, what made Barnabas tick, or what, what was the key to Barnabas' life as a Christian leader, I think, I think Luke would have told you two things as I read this. I read this 100 times this week. I think two things would have come out. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith. Number one, he's full of the Holy Spirit, which means he has a divine enabling about his life. Something about his life means he's on mission. He's in the pocket of where God wants him to be at. So the Holy Spirit is working through him in the areas where he's at because he's being obedient to the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, and walking with the Holy Spirit, which explains the effectiveness of his ministry in verse 24, where large numbers were coming to the Lord. And then the second thing you see is full of faith. You could just say he trusted God. He trusted God with his life, with his ministry, with everything. And this was evident in the way that he encouraged the church to keep going because he trusted God and he trusted God to encourage him and to move, move him towards um, his will. It wasn't about Barnabas. It was all about Jesus. It was all about the church moving forward. It was all about Jesus and his church moving forward. Forward. And the fruit of these two very weighty characteristics was he was a good man. So him being full of the Holy Spirit and him being full of faith is what pointed to him being a good man. Those things created those things in him, I think. He was a, a righteous man who obeyed the word. He was, his daily life was, was, was characterized by being a man obedient to Scripture. His character was above reproach. New Christians and new churches, guys, need Barnabases. We need Barnabases in this room to step up and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to stop saying yes to self so much and start saying no to self and yes to God. 
The church needs people to disciple people. The church needs people to, to be leaders, to step up into their roles as, as men and women of God. And I want to take some time looking at how Barnabas' faith and obedience to the Holy Spirit expressed itself through his goodness. The first thing I see is his compassion to outsiders. The first thing I see is his compassion to outsiders. You see, Barnabas was known for empathy towards outsiders. He had a heart for people who was on the outskirts of things, who was on the edge of society. In verse 22, you see that we notice that all the apostles and the elders and the deacons and that the church in Jerusalem could have sent anybody to help the Gentile believers in Antioch, but they chose Barnabas. They chose Barnabas. Why? Because he had earned a respect and a reputation for caring for the underdog. I think, for, for example, in Acts chapter 9, after, after um, Saul was, was converted, the, the murderer of Christians and the persecutor of Christians, the Pharisee, the whole entire church was so afraid of him that he couldn't even join their fellowship as a new believer. But Barnabas, only Barnabas, was willing to stand up for him and be his advocate in front of the church. According to Acts chapter 4, Barnabas' real name was Joseph. Barnabas' real name was Joseph, but he had a nickname of Barnabas because it means son of encouragement because he was so encouraging to his brothers and sisters. How would that be if you were given the nickname son of encouragement? That's what I'm talking about. That's the heart of a Christian. So the church in Jerusalem chooses Barnabas. We're back to the story. They choose Barnabas to go to Antioch to encourage and to establish the new church and, and the, the Gentile church, but but how does, it, how does faith produce this kind of goodness? I think part of the answer is this. Faith feels the wonder of being accepted as an outsider to God's blessings. Faith feels the wonder. Man, how am I chosen? How am I accepted into the kingdom? How, how can anybody, how, how can the king of kings love me enough to accept me into his kingdom? You see that? That, that's what builds faith because faith is produced in remembering that we were all once cut off from God. Faith is produced in, in remembering that we were cut off and we were living in willful sin. Faith is produced in remembering that God built a bridge between God and us and that's called the cross making a way for all people to come back to him. And that type of faith has a built-in empathy to outsiders. Because if I remember that, I'm going to love outsiders way better than if I'm being prideful and arrogant, thinking that I have an entitlement because God has saved me and loved me. I'm chosen. No, no, no. Yeah, you're chosen maybe. But guess what? That doesn't give you authority to, to gloat or to lord it over people. You are supposed to take the low road and be humble in front of people. Do you have empathy for outsiders like Barnabas? Or are you comfortable with your comfort zone? Where, where are you at in that? Are, are you empathetic to people? The next thing, next thing we see in this, Barnabas' submission to the mission of God through the church. I'm looking at this and I'm looking at his goodness on display. Barnabas' submission to the mission of God through the church. And I read that, I look, God's mission is always carried out by God's church. There's no rogue Christians that, that are roaming in the world. There's no rogue. The church is God's plan A. There's no plan B. But Barnabas was yielded to the mission of God through the church. If you see verse 22, it ends with the words, it says, they sent out Barnabas, right? Verse 22 says, they sent out Barnabas. Well, if you look over in verse 23, it begins with what? When he arrived. So the church sent him out. 
and then he went. And so there was, no, there was a need. The church saw Barnabas, the necessary gifts in Barnabas. They sent Barnabas. Barnabas went, and that was that. There was no like, there was no, I'll pray about it, I'll do this. I'm, uh, there was none of that. In fact, there's no evidence in Scripture that he ever returned to Jerusalem to live. He was being sent out for good, possibly. And so how many of us today would leave everything in submission to the mission of God as the church began to call out gifts on you? How many of us would leave everything we knew to follow God on his mission? Listen, you have a gift of encouragement, brother. Uh, we need that on our mission trip to Thailand. We need that in Haiti. Man, you can do this kind of gift. Uh, we can do this. You have this kind of craft in you. Uh, we need your help. What kind of, what kind of submission would be, would be happening there as you're following God, as you're following God, and that, as, you're, as you're being submissive to him and where he's leading you as the church begins to call out the gifts in you as we see those things happening? But too many times, man, the church has done this and it's, it's, it's aggravating, man, because I've done it in my life. Too many times we say, no, God, God's not calling me there. God's not calling me over here, over here. God's not calling me to this. When in reality, we haven't even checked with God. We just, we just know that over there is outside our comfort zone, right? And, and, and the way that our sinful nature works is we create these little things in our lives and our minds, these strongholds and these walls that we put in front of God's plan and we check the filter of our lives and our agendas before we check God's. And in two weeks, I wanna share something really cool. But before that, we've, we have a saying here in this church. It says, whatever you do in life, you should be doing that for the glory of God, right? Your job, your, your, your marriage, um, whatever you do in life, you're a student, whatever it is, you should be doing that for the glory of God and you should be doing that strategically for the mission of God. So if as we go out and plant churches, if we go out and do these different things, say you're a trash man, guess what? Every city in the world needs a trash man. Job security, right? Take up your family and move to this place, help us plant a church. Be missional in your thinking. A lot of you guys are like, that's a little out of the box, Michael. Listen, this is scripture. This is Barnabas, the church calling Barnabas. Barnabas went, Barnabas never came back. In two weeks, I'm gonna announce something in this church that's something that's pretty big that our church is involved in over the next couple of years that you're gonna see and share a little bit about a person from this body that is embodying this statement, that is gonna be doing this, picking their life up and moving it to another place. I'm gonna share about this in two weeks. Y'all come back, see you in two weeks. Okay, moving on. So Barnabas was sold out for the mission of God. Barnabas was sold out for the mission of God. He, he, he had experienced the Holy Spirit. He, he, he was obedient to Jesus. He was obedient to the call. And so at the beginning of chapter 13, Barnabas is praying with some of the other church leaders in Antioch, and it happens again. I'm not going to chapter 13. I'm just give you a little overview. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And so they pray, they fast, lay their hands on them, and they're gone. And that was that. That was it, they're gone. And so the second feature of goodness we see in Barnabas was his, his, it was an extraordinary submission to go anywhere God directed. He took his lead from the guidance of the church and from the Holy Spirit. And our faith, listen, our faith in this room, it banks everything on the promises of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. That tells us to go make disciples of all nations. But the very last part says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And so we have two promises that, that book in this scripture. The first one says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So Jesus, if he's saying that, do you believe that Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth 
That means he has all sovereignty to do whatever he would like. And then if the last part says, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth, there's not a lot of uh, room for worry in that, right, or anxiety because he has all the authority and he's gonna be with me. But the question is, do you trust that he's gonna be with you? Do you trust the mission that he's calling you on that he's gonna walk with you on? But Barnabas, he knew that if God's lead, he followed God's lead, that he would always have God's protection. Listen, this morning, you can trust that if you're following God's lead, you will always have God's protection. You trust that? If you don't, it's a trust problem. And then we need to go back to the beginning and talk about those things. But let's move on into our relationship with Jesus a little bit deeper. Barnabas had submitted to the mission of God because he had faith in the promises of Christ, ever-present fellowship and protection. The next thing we see, next thing we see his goodness expressed is his ability to see God's grace in an imperfect church, right? You ever been to a perfect church? Nope, nope, never been to a perfect church. Barnabas saw the grace of God in an imperfect church. Verse 23 says, when he arrived, and saw the grace of God. The Holy Spirit gave Barnabas eyes to look beyond the imperfect imperfections of the church. This was a new church, kind of like ours, a new church. And he was able to see God's grace past the flaws. Are we able to do that? Can we see past the flaws and to see God's grace? Can we see past, man, that joker preaches too long, or that song too long, I don't like this, they're not doing this right, I don't like how they're handling this or that. Can we look past those things and see what God's doing on the other side of that. Can you see the 23 people who got saved last year? Can you see the people who've been baptized and their lives have been changed? Can you see the people who are taking steps into their to the relationship with Jesus and becoming part of a connect group? Can you see marriages that are being formed and created and strengthened? Can you see those things? Are you so focused on your feet, you can't see what God's doing in front of you? Not everyone can see the beauty of God's grace in the church. So many people aren't even looking. A majority of the church, uh, the church culture of our day looks to the church for what it can provide them. It's a consumeristic culture, man. Like we live in a consumer culture and it has bled into the body of Christ, unfortunately. Can you see past the shortcomings and the sins of fellow believers that are sitting to your left and to your right, the one who's standing on stage to see God's grace working around you? Can you see past those things? to see God's grace working in this place. So many people define grace wrong. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't wanna say it's wrong, I just say it stops short. A definition of the grace that I've always learned when I'm in my Southern Baptist background, it barely scratches the surface of what it actually means. Like unmerited favor, what the heck is that? Like I get it, but what is, there's so much more to grace than that. Like, and so I was, I was looking through some, some of my notes that I'd taken before and I was praying through this, and I had a really guy, a guy that was way more smarter than me. He defined grace this way to me, and I love it. I'm gonna use it for y'all too. He said, grace is the ability of God working in you and doing for you what you can't do in your own ability. Grace is the ability of God working in you and me in this church and doing for us what we can't do in our own ability. And so you say, hey, I need more grace to be a disciple maker. Well, unmerited favor doesn't really make sense in that scenario, right? But him doing for me what I can't do in my own ability through me is something that makes sense to me. Him, me, me saying I need to be an evangelist or I need to be able to have grace on, I need to be able to, to, to have grace in this moment of, of, of seeing things that I don't understand. Like Barnabas is in this moment where he's saying he understands this. And that's why he has such a remarkable gift of encouragement because he was able to see through the eyes of grace. 
He saw the potential in new believers that he wanted to fan into flame. They didn't know everything, and that's okay, but he wanted to fan those gifts into flame where others would have seen imperfections and discouragement. You need to stop sinning, stop saying that way, stop doing these things. Barnabas saw an opportunity for encouragement and love. Barnabas' faith had produced in him a kind of goodness that because of, excuse me, because of faith, because faith lives by grace. The goodness that was in Barnabas is because it came from his faith that has come from a life of lived in grace. Faith spends all of its time looking for grace and working in other people. If you have faith in your life, you're spending your time looking for the God's, God's grace at work in other people's lives. So Barnabas had the goodness of being able to see the grace of God in imperfect lives of the Gentile believers in Antioch because his faith was honed in on grace because he had experienced and he knew he couldn't survive without the grace of God. So he had that moment of understanding. So how does grace work itself out in your life? Let's talk about that for two seconds. Are you missing what God's trying to show you because you can't see? Are you too blinded by your own desires? Are you too blinded by your own pride? The fourth thing, his joy over God's grace in others' lives. His joy over God's grace. He loved it. It brought him joy in life. Barnabas not only saw the grace of God, he rejoiced over the grace of God. And when he saw it, he got excited. Like there's so many people that in the church today, even in this body, sometimes that I'm like, are you, are, do you remember what you do you remember salvation as a good thing? Right? Do you remember salvation as is, it should bring us joy because literally you were going to spend eternity in hell. Now you're saved. That creates joy in me. That's awesome. Salvation. Have we lost the joy of our salvation? Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Have you lost your strength because you've lost your joy? The joy that salvation creates in us creates a love in us, which the Bible says in Colossians that love creates a bond of unity. Joy of our salvation. Barnabas had a joy of other people's salvation. Man, I love seeing people come to the Lord. Verse 23 says, when he arrived and saw God's grace, he was glad. Faith not only sees grace, it delights in it. Faith doesn't only see it. Faith, faith is like an addiction, okay? Faith is like an addiction. The more grace you see, the more grace you taste, the more you gotta have it. Am I right? Have you ever experienced that? If you haven't experienced that, let's get a little deeper in God's grace here. Faith is like an addiction. And when you get near grace, you not only can spot it, but you get excited about it. And you start rejoicing in it. And the goodness of Barnabas is seen in his rejoicing over the grace of God that he saw in the young church in Antioch. And that's the heart we had to see. And the reason that he was so ready to rejoice, that we're reading about in chapter 11 is in his rejoicing over the grace of God. And the reason that he was so ready for that was because his faith had in it a deep and exciting addiction to grace that had been developed over a long period of dependency on grace that God had poured out on his life. That has created something in him that is pouring out onto others. His ability to have joy in grace. Chapter or Number five, this last one. Band would like to come forward. We're gonna. This will be our last point. This is um. This is his pleading for the Christians' perseverance. This is the fifth thing I see him in, in, in Barnabas. He was pleading for the Christians' perseverance. Don't give up. Keep pushing forward. Have faith. 
give it all you've got. Remain true to the Lord. He was exerting himself for the perseverance of the church. Genuine saving faith, guys, has a drive and a motivation in it to persevere and to fight. Genuine faith, how you know you're really saved, has a motivation in it to, to persevere and to fight every day against all the temptations that are coming against you and tempting you to unbelief or into sin. Genuine saving faith, it feels the weight of the vulnerability if it took off the armor of God and acted on its own because of the past decisions or the sins that you've created, all these different things, that some past decision is gonna hold you down and it does not guarantee the future blessing that God has given you. Genuine saving faith feels the weight of that vulnerability of life without God. Genuine saving faith knows that this life depends daily on the word of God and prayer and to fight for holiness. So we can, so we can learn from Barnabas that faith in us Faith in you, faith in me, it will always produce in, in, in us the burden for the faithfulness of others. If I have faith and grace in me working itself out, I'm gonna be worried about my brother being faithful. I'm gonna be worried about my brother getting closer and being holy and being righteous before God. I'm gonna have a burden for the church to, have, to make sure the church is, is preaching sound doctrine, to make sure the church is, is following the will and the mission of God and not just being stagnant and sitting in a place meeting once a week. I'm gonna have a burden in my heart. And this is why it says that Barnabas encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. His passion for the faithfulness of others was rooted in his personal faithfulness to God. And as he followed Jesus, as he experienced God's grace and mercy that is found in Jesus, he naturally drew others to the source of his security, which was Jesus. No matter where he went, not just Antioch, everywhere he went, he was drawing people to his Savior. Be faithful. Remain in the Lord. Follow Jesus. Jesus loves you. We have a saying here at this church that saves people, serve people. But we believe and we want to take it further and say, if you're saved, you're going to care about the souls of lost people. If you're a Christian in this place this morning and, and, you know, and you're saying, hey, I follow Jesus, but you have a lack of concern for a person that doesn't know Christ. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying you need to check your faith. Because it's important this morning that you see in, in verse 26, we see a random little sentence that kind of seems to be thrown in there at the end. And it's like, why is that there? Like, it doesn't really connect to anything. It's just kind of like a, there it is. It says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so I started looking at the word Christian. It literally means, translated literally means belonging to Christ. Belonging to Christ. It's only found three times in the Bible, the word Christian. Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 26, and 1 Peter 4. Christian, three times. If you belong to Christ, you are a student of Christ. If you belong to Christ, you're in the word of Christ. You're in the word of God. You're praying, which means you're a disciple. Anytime you look in the, the book of Acts, most of the time believers were called disciples, not Christians. Is that what your life speaks? I belong to Christ. Do a quick inventory. You may have strayed. You may have walked away. You may have fallen short, but we all do. But as your life give an example of belonging to Christ as Barnabas did.
He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Is that what your life screams to the world? I'm not talking about a mouth that says God's, uh, you know, God's not going to judge you by what you claim. He's going to judge you by what you do with what you claim. Because the words of your mouth mean nothing unless the actions of your life back it up. You can put on Facebook all day long, I'm a Christian. That doesn't get you to heaven. You can have conversations all day about the Bible and how smart you are about Scripture. That doesn't get you to heaven. That doesn't get you into the presence of God. Your actions will always reveal your heart. So this morning, I just want to tell you that you can't say you love Jesus and spend your life separated from His Word. You can't say you love Jesus and you're a Christian if you aren't actively pursuing people because you know they're lost and through evangelism and discipleship. Because unfortunately, the Christian word, the word Christian has lost a great deal of its meaning over the years and centuries. In our culture, it no longer means one who has turned from sin and trusted Jesus Christ and received salvation by grace through faith. Many people who have never been born again consider themselves Christians simply because they live in the United States of America. Simply because they're not as bad as this person or maybe they prayed a specific, prayed a specific prayer one time in a revival. That means I'm a Christian. I prayed the sinner's prayer, right? I'm a Christian. That's not what that means. They may belong to a church or attend church services somewhat regularly or even give to the work of the church. Listen, but it takes more than that for a sinner to become a child of God. It takes repentance from sin and faith in Christ. And whenever you repent from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus who died for your sins on a cross and rose again to give you eternal life with him, the eternal life is not the reward. The eternal life with Jesus is the reward. And it's important that we understand a genuine saving faith is going to be accompanied by fruit. So when you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus and you say yes to Jesus, no matter what, Father, I'm gonna do what you've called me to do, and then you don't do what he's called you to do, there's reason to question your faith. There's reason to question that. Listen, in America, this is common, but it's sad. We need to be questioning, where am I at? If this is my life, where am I at? What am I doing? If I'm saying, hey, Jesus is Lord, I put my faith in him, but there's no fruit, where are you, where are you at? This morning as we close, I want you to just spend some time evaluating your heart, evaluating where you're at because a genuine saving faith is accompanied by fruit. We can't, we can see the fruit in Barnabas, right? In Acts chapter 11, we see the fruit. But let's look inward today. What's your, what, what faith, what about your faith has, has changed your life? What about your faith has, has changed the direction of who you are as a person? David Fuller once said, uh, it's a famous quote in churches, but it's, it's, it's very accurate. If, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's one of the greatest questions you can ask yourself. If you're arrested for your faith, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you? And so this morning, that's, that's the gospel, that Jesus gave his life for you, a sinner. He's offered this by grace, by his grace, doing something for us that we couldn't do in our own ability. We could not live the life we should have lived, but Christ did and he died for us. He died a death that was owed to us because of the penalty of my sin and because of your sin. And he rose again defeating death and fulfilling scripture. And he rose again and was ascended into heaven and he's coming back one day to return for his church. 
And this morning, it's time for the church to stop playing games because you know why? And I said this to our men that are hitting up our men's retreat. Guys, it's time for us to stop having rally crop men's retreats. And it's time for us to start having Ford's men's retreats because all that's doing is calling people who are behind up front. We need to start working from the front out. We need to start moving ahead and taking some ground that the enemy stole. It's time for us to start leading from front. It's time for men to be men and women to be women. It's time for us to stand up for the church and to walk what Scripture calls us to, man. Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. That is in itself enough to create in me a life change. If I see the perfect Son of God coming down and living a life and dying a death and raising again and looking at me and saying, Michael, this was for you. I just did it for you just in case you wanted to come back to me. And I, and I choose anything less than that, that's foolishness in my eyes in my life. And I'm gonna tell you today that God has loved you so much that he's made a way. And the question our culture likes to ask is, why is Jesus the only way? Well, my question is, why is there even a way? Because Jesus is the perfect son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this morning, he's calling you. And if you've never entered into a relationship with him, I pray that you would today. I pray today would be the day of salvation for you. I pray the day is, today would be the day that you would walk into a relationship with him. I don't care if you're a leader at this church. I pray that you get this right today. I don't care if you're on the stage. I don't care who it is in this room. My concern is for the salvation of your souls. And so I'm gonna be standing right there and I would love to talk to anyone who has questions about this or wants to make this decision today and make that public profession today before this church and saying, hey, I wanna follow Jesus. And so today, I wanna give you an opportunity now if you've never said, hey, yes, I know I need Jesus. I know that I've been living for myself and I know I have, I have walked my own way and I have not submitted to him. I may have been playing games with him, but now today, to, 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 today is the day that I'm getting that right. I just wanna ask you just to, to, to make that a public statement today and just say, hey, that's me. Is there anybody today? I just wanna ask you to raise your hand so we can pray for you and celebrate with you. Is that anybody? So anybody want to make that decision today to follow Jesus for the first time and walk with him? Okay, well, I'm gonna give you an opportunity after this to pray. This altar is open. I'll be standing there. This prayer team would love to pray with you. And um, after that, we'll, we're gonna sing one more song and then we can be dismissed. So Father God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done and who you are. I pray, God, that you would just move in this place right now, God, that you would tear down the walls of people's hearts that have been built from a long life of, of uh, just not following you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just do something in this body that's uncommon and that you would just uh, break hearts in this moment, Father. Bring us to our knees and surrender. We love you. Amen.